Hi, everybody. Carla here, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Let's jump right back into Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, Chapter 10. Atticus was feeble. He was nearly 50. When Jim and I asked him why he was so old, he said he got started late which we felt reflected upon his abilities and manliness. He was much older than the parents of our school contemporaries, and there was nothing Jim or I could say about him when our classmates said, My father, blank. Jim was football crazy. Atticus was never too tired to play keep away, but when Jim wanted to tackle him, Atticus would say, I'm too old for that, son. Our father didn't do anything. He worked in an office, not in a drugstore. Atticus did not drive a dump truck for the county. He was not the sheriff. He did not farm, work in a garage, or do anything that could possibly arouse the admiration of anyone. Besides that, he wore glasses. He was nearly blind in his left eye and said left eyes were the tribal curse of the finches. Whenever he wanted to see something well, he turned his head and looked from his right eye. He did not do the things our our schoolmates' fathers did. He never went hunting. He did not play poker or fish or drink or smoke. He sat in the living room and read. With these attributes, however, he would not remain as inconspicuous as we wished him to. That year, the school buzzed with talk about him defending Tom Robinson, none of which was complimentary. After my bout with Cecil Jacobs, when I committed myself to a policy of cowardice, word got round that Scout Finch wouldn't fight anymore. Her daddy wouldn't let her. This was not entirely correct. I wouldn't fight publicly for Atticus, but the family was private ground. I would fight anyone from a third cousin upwards, tooth and nail. Francis Hancock, for example, knew that. When he gave us our air rifles, Atticus wouldn't teach us to shoot. Uncle Jack instructed us in the rudiments thereof. He said Atticus wasn't interested in guns. Atticus said to Jim one day, I'd rather you shot at ten cans in the backyard, but I know you'll go after birds. Shoot all the blue jays you want, if you can hit them. But remember, it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. That was the only time I ever heard Atticus say it was a sin to do something, and I asked Miss Marty about it. Your father's right, she said. Mockingbirds don't do nothing but make music for us to enjoy. They don't eat up people's gardens, don't nest in corn cribs. They don't do one thing but sing their hearts out for us. That's why it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. Miss Marty, this is an old neighborhood, ain't it? Been here longer than the town. No, I mean, the folks on our street are all, are all old. Jim and me's the only children around here. Mrs. DuBose is close on a hundred, and Miss Rachel's old, and so are you and Atticus. I don't call fifty very old, said Miss Maudie tartly. Not being wheeled around yet, am I? Neither's your father. But I must say Providence was kind enough to burn down that old mausoleum of mine. I was too old to keep it up. Maybe you're right, Jean Louise. This is a settled neighborhood. You've never been around young folks much, have you? Yes'm, at school. I mean young grown-ups. You're lucky, you know. You and Jim have the benefit of your father's age. If your father was 30, you'd find life quite different. You'd be surprised, said Miss Marty. There's life in him yet. What can he do? Well, he can make somebody's will so airtight, nobody can meddle with it. Shoot. Well, did you know he's the best checker player in this town? Why, down at the landing when we were coming up, 
Atticus Finch could beat everybody on both sides of the river. Good Lord, Miss Marty, Jim and me beat him all the time. It's about time you found out it's because he lets you. Did you know he can play a Jew's harp? This modest accomplishment served to make me even more ashamed of him. Well, she said. Well, what, Miss Marty? Well, nothing. Nothing. It seems that with all, with all that, you'd be proud of him. Can't everybody play a Jew's harp? Now keep out of the way of the carpenters. You better go home. I'll be in my azaleas and can't watch you. A plank might hit you. I went to the backyard and found Jim plugging away at a tin can, which seemed stupid with all the blue jays around. I returned to the front yard and busied myself for two hours erecting a complicated breastworks at the side of the porch, consisting of a tire, an orange crate, the laundry hamper, the porch chairs, and a small U.S. flag Jim gave me from a popcorn box. When Atticus came home to dinner, he found me crouched down aiming across the street. What are you shooting at? Miss Marty's rear end. Atticus turned and saw my generous target bending over her bushes. He pushed his hat to the back of his head and crossed the street. Marty, he called. I thought I'd better warn you. You're in considerable peril. Miss Marty straightened up and looked toward me. She said, Atticus, you are a devil from hell. When Atticus returned, he told me to break camp. Don't you ever let me catch you pointing that gun at anybody again, he said. I wish my father was a devil from hell. I sounded out Calpurnia on the subject. Mr. Finch? Why, he can do lots of things. Like what? I asked. Calpurnia scratched her head. Well, I don't rightly know, she said. Jim underlined it when he asked Atticus if he was going out for the Methodists, and Atticus said he'd break his neck if he did. He was just too old for that sort of thing. The Methodists were trying to pay off their church mortgage and had challenged the Baptists to a game of touch football. Everybody in town's father was playing, it seemed, except Atticus. Jim said he didn't even want to go, but he was unable to resist football in any form, and he stood gloomily on the sidelines with Atticus and me watching Cecil Jacobs' father make touchdowns for the Baptists. On Saturday, Jim and I decided to go exploring with our air rifles to see if we could find a rabbit or a squirrel. We had gone about we had gone about 500 yards before beyond the Radley place when I noticed Jim squinting at something down the street. He had turned his head to one side and was looking out of the corner of his eyes. What you looking at? That old dog down yonder, he said. That's old Tim Johnson, ain't it? Yeah. Tim Johnson was the property of Mr. Harry Johnson, who drove the mobile bus and lived on the southern edge of town. Tim was a liver-colored bird dog, the pet of Makem. What's he doing? I don't know, Scout. We better go home. Oh, Jim, it's February. I don't care. I'm going to tell Cal. We raced home and ran to the kitchen. Cal, said Jim, can you come down the sidewalk a minute? What for, Jim? I can't come down the sidewalk every time you want me. There's something wrong with old with an old dog down yonder. Calpurnia sighed. I can't wrap up any dog's foot now. There's some galls in the bathroom. Go get it and do it yourself. Jim shook his head. He's sick, Cal. Something's wrong with him. What's he doing? Trying to catch his tail? No, he's doing like this. Jim gulped like a goldfish, haunched his shoulders, and twitched his torso. He's going like that, only not like he means to. 
Are you telling me a story, Jem Finch? Calpurnia's voice hardened. No, Cal, I swear I'm not. Was he running? No, he's just moseying along, so slow you can't hardly tell it. He's coming this way. Calpurnia rinsed her hands and followed Jem into the yard. I don't see any dog, she said. She followed us beyond the Radley place and looked where Jem pointed. Tim Johnson was not much more than a speck in the distance, but he was closer to us. He walked erratically, as if his right legs were shorter than his left legs. He reminded me of a car stuck in a sand bed. He's gone lopsided, said Jim. Calpurnia stared, then grabbed us by the shoulders and ran us home. She shut the door behind us, went to the telephone and shouted, Give me Mr. Finch's office! Mr. Finch, she shouted, this is Cal. I swear to God, there's a mad dog down the street apiece. He's coming this way. Yes, sir. He's Mr. Finch, I declare he is. Old Tom Johnson. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. She hung up and shook her head when we tried to ask her what Atticus had said. She rattled the telephone hook and said, Miss Eula May, now, ma'am, I'm through talking to Mr. Finch. Please don't connect me no more. Listen. Miss Eula May, can you call Miss Rachel and Miss Stephanie Crawford and whoever's got a phone on the street and tell them a mad dog's coming? Please, ma'am. Calpurnia listened. I know it's February, Miss Eula May, but I know a mad dog when I see one. Please, ma'am, hurry. Calpurnia asked Jim, Radley's got a phone? Jim shook. Jim looked in the book and said, no, they won't come out anyway, Cal. I don't care. I'm going to tell them. She ran to the front porch, Jim and I at her heels. You stay in the house, she yelled. Calpurnia's message had been received by the neighborhood. Every wood door within our range of vision was closed tight. We saw no trace of Tim Johnson. We watched Calpurnia running toward the Radley place, holding her skirt and apron above her knees. She went up to the front steps and banged on the door. She got no answer, and she shouted, Mr. Nathan, Mr. Arthur, mad dog's coming, mad dog's coming. She's supposed to go around and back, I said. Jim shook his head. Don't make any difference now, he said. Calpurnia pounded on the door in vain. No one acknowledged her warning. No one seemed to have heard it. As Calpurnia sprinted to the back porch, a black Ford swung into the driveway. Atticus and Mr. Heck Tate got out. Mr. Heck Tate was the sheriff of Macon County. He was, he was as tall as Atticus, but thinner. He was long-nosed, wore boots with shiny metal eye holes, boot pants, and a lumber jacket. His belt had a row of bullets sticking in it. He carried a heavy rifle. When he and Atticus reached the porch, Jem opened the door. Stay inside, son, said Atticus. Where is he, Cal? He ought to be here by now, said Calpurnia, pointing down the street. Not running, is he? asked Mr. Tate. No, sir, he's in the twitching stage, Mr. Heck. Should we go after him, Heck? asked Atticus. We better wait, Mr. Finch. They usually go in a straight line, but you can never tell. He might follow the curve. Hope he does or he'll go straight in the Radley backyard. Let's wait a minute. Don't think he'll get in the Radley yard, said Atticus. The fence will stop him. He'll probably follow the road. I thought mad dogs foamed at the mouth, galloped, leaped, and lunged at throats, and I thought they did it in August. Had Tim Johnson behaved thus, I would have been less frightened. Nothing is more deadly than a deserted, waiting street. The trees were still, 
the mockingbirds were silent. The carpenters at Miss Marty's house had vanished. I heard Mr. Tate sniff, then blow his nose. I saw him shift his gun to the crook of his arm. I saw Miss Stephanie Crawford's face framed in the glass window of her front door. Miss Marty appeared and stood beside her. Atticus put his foot on the rung of the chair and rubbed his hand slowly down the side of his thigh. There he is, he said softly. Tim Johnson came into sight, walking dazedly in the inner rim of the curve parallel to the Radley house. Look at him, whispered Jim. Mr. Heck said they, Mr. Heck said they walked in a straight line. He can't even stay in the road. He looks more sick than anything, I said. Let anything get in front of him and he'll come straight at it. Mr. Tate put his hand to his forehead and leaned forward. He's got it all right, Mr. Finch. Tim Johnson was advancing at a snail's pace, but he was not playing or sniffing at foliage. He seemed dedicated to one course and, motiva and motivated by an invisible force that was inching him toward us. We could see him shiver like a horse shedding flies. His jaw opened and shut. He was A-list, but he was being pulled gradually toward us. He's looking for a place to die, said Jim. Mr. Tate turned around. He's far from dead, Jim. He hasn't got started yet. Tim Johnson reached the side street that ran in front of the Radley place, and what remained of his poor mind made him pause and seemed to consider which road he would take. He made a few hesitant steps and stopped in front of the Radley gate. Then he tried to turn around but was having difficulty. Attica said, He's within range, heck. You better get him now before he goes down the street. Lord knows who's round the corner. Go inside, Cal. Calpurnia opened the screen door, latched it behind her, then unlatched it and held on to the hook. She tried to block Jim and me with her body, but we looked out from beneath her arms. Take him, Mr. Finch. Mr. Tate handed the rifle to Atticus. Jim and I nearly fainted. Don't waste time, heck, said Atticus. Go on. Mr. Finch, this is a one-shot job. Atticus shook his head vehemently. Don't just stand there, heck. He won't wait all day for you. For God's sake, Mr. Finch, look where he is. Miss and you go straight into the Radley house. I can't shoot that well and you know it. I haven't shot a gun in 30 years. Mr. Tate almost threw the rifle at Atticus. I'd feel mighty comfortable if you did now, he said. In a fog, Jim and I watched our father take the gun and walk out into the middle of the street. He walked quickly, but I thought he moved like an underwater swimmer. Time had slowed to a nauseating crawl. When Atticus raised his glasses, Calpurnia murmured, Sweet Jesus, help him, and put her hands to her cheeks. Atticus pushed his glasses to his forehead. They slipped down and he dropped them in the street. In the silence, I heard them crack. Atticus rubbed his eyes and chin. We saw him blink hard. In front of the Radley gate, Tim Johnson had made up what was left of his mind. He had finally turned himself around to pursue his original course up our street. He made two steps forward, then stopped and raised his head. We saw his body go rigid. With movements so swift they seemed simultaneous, Atticus had yanked a ball-tipped lever as he brought the gun to his shoulder. The rifle cracked. Tim Johnson leaped, flopped over, and crumpled onto the sidewalk in a brown and white heap. He didn't know what hit him. Mr. Tate jumped off the porch and ran to the Radley place. He stopped in front of the dog, squatted, turned around, and tapped his forefinger on his forehead above his left eye. You were a little to the right, Mr. Finch, 
he called. You were, you were a little to the right, Mr. Finch, he called. Always was, answered Atticus. If I had my druthers, I'd take a shotgun. He stooped and picked up his glasses, ground the broken lenses to powder under his heel, and went to Mr. Tate and stood looking down at Tim Johnson. Doors opened one by one, and the neighborhood slowly came alive. Miss Maudie walked down the steps with Miss Stephanie Crawford. Jim was paralyzed. I pinched him to get him moving, but when Atticus saw us coming, he yelled, Stay where you are! When Mr. Tate and Atticus returned to the yard, Mr. Tate was smiling. I'll have Zebo collect him, he said. You haven't forgot much, Mr. Finch. They say it never leaves you. Atticus was silent. Atticus, said Jim. Yes, nothing. I saw that, one-shot Finch. Atticus wheeled around and faced Miss Marty. They looked at one another without saying anything, and Atticus got into the sheriff's car. Come here, he said to Jim. Don't you go near that dog, you understand? Don't go near him. He's just as dangerous dead as alive. Yes, sir, said Jim. Atticus? What, son? Nothing. What's the matter with you, boy? Can't you talk? Said Mr. Heck, grinning at Jim. Didn't you know your daddy's... Hush, Heck, said Atticus. Let's go back to town. When they drove away, Jim and I went to Miss Stephanie's front steps. We sat waiting for Zebo to arrive in the garbage truck. Jim sat numb in confusion, and Miss Stephanie said... Uh, uh, huh? Who'd have thought of a mad dog in February? Maybe he wasn't mad. Maybe he was just crazy. I'd hate to see Harry Johnson's face when he gets in from, from mobile, from the mobile run and finds Atticus Finch has shot his dog. Bet he was just full of fleas from somewhere. Miss Marty and Miss Stephanie, Miss Marty said Miss Stephanie'd be singing a different tune if Jim Johnson was still coming up the street, that they'd find out soon enough they'd send his head to Montgomery. Jim became vaguely articulate. Do you see him, Scout? Do you see him just standing there? And all of a sudden, he just relaxed all over, and it looked like that gun was a part of him. And he did it so quick-like. I have to aim for ten minutes before I can hit something. Miss Maudie grinned wickedly. Well now, Miss Jean Louise, she said. Still think your father can't do anything? Still ashamed of him? No, I said meekly. Forgot to tell you the other day that besides playing the Jew's harp, Atticus Finch was the deadliest shot in Maycomb County in his time. Dead shot, echoed Jim. That's what I said, Jim Finch. Guess you'll change your tune now. The very idea. Didn't you know his nickname was old one shot when he was a boy? Why, down at the landing when he was coming up, if he shot 15 times and hit 14 doves, he'd complain about wasting ammunition. He never said anything about that, Jim muttered. Never said anything about it, did he? No, ma'am. Wonder why he never goes hunting now, I said. Maybe I can tell you, said Miss Marty. If your father's anything, he's, a, he's civilized in his heart. Markmanship's a gift of God, a talent. Oh, you have to practice to make it perfect, but shooting's different from playing the piano or the like. I think maybe he put his gun down when he realized that God had given him an unfair advantage over most living things. I guess he decided he wouldn't shoot till he had to, and he had to today. Looks like he'd be proud of it, I said. People in their right minds never take pride in their talents, said Miss Marty. We saw Zebo drive up. 
he took a pitchfork from the back of the garbage truck and gingerly lifted Tim Johnson. He pitched the dog onto the truck, then poured something from a gallon jug on the ground where the spot where Tim fell. Don't y'all come over here for a while, he called. When we went home, I told Jim we'd really have something to talk about at school on Monday. Jim turned on me. Don't say anything about it, Scout, he said. What? I certainly am. Ain't everybody's daddy the deadest shot in Maycomb County? Jim said. I reckon if he'd wanted us to know about it, he'd have told us. If he was proud of it, he'd have told us. Maybe it just slipped his mind, I said. No, Scout. It's something you wouldn't understand. Atticus is real old, but I wouldn't care if he couldn't do anything. I wouldn't care if he couldn't do a blessed thing. Jim picked up a rock and threw it jubilantly at the car house. Running after it, he called back. Atticus is a gentleman, just like me. That brings us to the end of Chapter 10 of Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the reading. Until next time.